0: What's up, guys? It's your boy, Johnny Bananas, and I'll be covering all the treachery, deceit, backstabbing, and murder from Season 2 of The Traitors US on my podcast, Death, Taxes, and Bananas. I'll be joined all season by my fellow castmates to swap stories, provide all the behind-the-scenes antics, and sordid details from filming. So, sally forth and join me for Season 2 of The Traders every Saturday on the Ringer Reality TV podcast feed.
1: This episode is brought to you
0: by Walmart Plus. With a Walmart Plus membership, you save on everything you need to stay entertained. A Paramount Plus subscription is included to watch all your favorite shows. Plus, there's free delivery and even gas discounts. So when you're done streaming, you can hit the town and find entertainment in the real world too. Save on all this plus much more with Walmart Plus. Start a free 30 day trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus essential plan only. Separate registration required. $35 order minimum. See slash plus for details. I need sports staff to, to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at the ringer.com. And joining me in the studio, fresh back from his ice hole fishing hut, it's Andy Greenwald!
2: I like the slow fade. <laughs> yeah. I like that he had a heater in there.
0: We're talking about True Detective and, uh, and your boy, Kropic.
2: Yeah, And, and we're going to talk about Monsieur Spade, too, right? We're going to yeah. do Double Detective today?
0: I, I can tell you're really holding out for that Spade, the Spade section. I love yeah. that show! I love that show, too! Now, but I love the ice, and I love communicating with dead people.
2: So you don't feel like Dashiell Hammett is a dead person <laughs> that Scott Frank is communing That's with? That's true. Okay. Yeah.
0: Let's, get, let's do True Detective. Okay. You know what I'm going to do for you? Help me. I'm going to recap episode three. I, really, I
2: appreciate that.
0: Uh, folks, just watch this, but you know, let's just, just shout it out, right? Mm-hmm. So in a flashback, we learn a little bit more about Annie yes. uh, before she was murdered. She not only busied herself you know, protesting the mining uh, going on in Ennis and having secret affairs with emotionally unstable scientists,
2: but she also has sort of changed the usage of Ennis's only hot tub.
0: Yeah, and she was she was a birthing uh, con- mm-hmm. like consultant or I don't you know like a, a kind doula, of like, a kind doula of? like yes she worked in a birthing center in Ennis back in the present day after this is when so we get a little picture of like Annie and Navarro's relationship before her demise, but then we switch back to the present day. And Hank has called in some oath keepers to help him uh search for Clark. Do you the think that, do you think
2: Hank had the group chat avail?
0: I think he's on uh Uh, He's probably on Telegram, if I had to guess. I think that's right. Uh, He's called in some Oath Keepers to help him. Uh, I don't know if they're Oath Keepers. They just have their own guns. That's their vibe. Um, With the search for Clark, the missing scientist, and Andy's secret boyfriend, Navarro has been brought on officially now to work Mm -hmm. on the case, and we find out that their schism between Danvers and Navarro uh, not only relates back to Annie, the Annie case, but Mm -hmm. also back to a case concerning an abusive husband who killed his wife, uh danvers says that the husband uh committed suicide but in a flashback it looks like there's way more to that story
2: let's just pause that and say one of the best best executed scenes of this of this series it's so so cool to have
0: like an unreliable narrator depiction there and i think that this is going to go to something that i want to talk about when it comes to Mm -hmm. theorizing about this show which is is it fun it what's it feel like to watch a show where you don't believe the characters Mm -hmm. not necessarily don't believe like they're real or not but like that although that's relevant but that they're telling the truth all the time yep. these true detectives Navarro and Danvers lay out all the evidence from Clark's room at Salal the research station they kind of get all that stuff together mm-hmm. in boxes and they find a candid photo of Annie and Clark the missing scientist hanging out a while ago and they find a little bit of blue hair dye mm-hmm. on it which leads them to think perhaps they've, there's a connection between Annie and her uh, hairstylist uh which is like that the, the hairstylist may have known more about uh, Clark and Annie.
2: Can we save some time in this podcast where I can ask you what what would be the most incriminating thing that would be turned up in the evidence boxes of your bedroom, like of eight boxes taken out?
0: Zin pouches.
2: Yeah, and... <laughs> that's right.
0: Um, okay, so as they're putting together all this evidence, I just I spy that the evidence itself. Mm-hmm. Starts to make the shape of the spiral pictogram, which has become like such a true detective icon. I just want to let you know that. Yes. So after Navarro makes this connection, they go talk to the hairstylist. Uh, she shows the hairstylist Annie's tattoo mm-hmm. and the tattoo that also Clark had, and the hairstylist is yelling. Annie did talk about this this image. She said that she dreamed it for a long time, and that when she got the tattoo, the dreams finally they stopped. stopped. The dreams they stopped. The dreams. That's
2: cool. Um, is that ha- what happened to you with sound waves?
0: Yeah, I guess so. That's true. I didn't really... I mean, like, you know, my tattoos don't have any kind of, like, cultish relationship. They're just cool designs. I just
2: I just didn't know. Maybe that happens to everyone <laughs> with tattoos. You you get it saying mom, so you stop thinking about your mom. It's dark.
0: Uh, um, this same hairstylist mentions that she used to date a Salal guy named Oliver, uh, who does not seem to be popping up on any social. He's not... Doesn't have a gram, doesn't have a truth social. And she also claims that she called the police... And told Hank about Clark and Andy after Andy died, just to be like, hey, like, just so you know, she had like a secret. Well, she boyfriend. doesn't say
2: Hank, but everybody knows. Everybody
0: seems to assume it's
2: Hank. And they're right.
0: Navarro starts chasing down the Oliver lead, pressing her jump off about his whereabouts, uh, and he gives her a little bit of info.
2: Hence the ice fishing, but they do a little quid pro quo. Yeah, he's like, I want to know a little bit about you. That was sweet.
0: But it turns out that Navarro's mother was murdered. Uh, we do find out a little bit about some of the darkness fueling her. Her mother ran away and never came back. Mm -hmm. Um, And Navarro says her mother was killed and her killer was never found. So you file that away because we are getting a growing list of missing women who might be, quote unquote, awake.
2: And also the idea that Navarro's sister may be following the same path as her mother.
0: Uh, Outside of this fishing hut, Navarro slips and falls and has a vision. It seems of like her past military service. Yeah. But there she uh, is visited by a child who whispers, listen... Or a voice that whispers, listen, and then the child says something. Now, I did not watch this with subtitles oh, on, so okay. I don't know exactly what the child says. Does the child say, get my mommy? Does it say, protect my mommy? Who is this child? Yeah. Is it young Navarro? Is it Danvers' daughter? Is I don't know. Is it the baby
2: that was born at the beginning? Is it the baby that
0: was born at the beginning? There, it child says has pajamas that say dreamer mm. on them and is holding a stuffed polar bear.
2: Do you think this child would also like it if a random woman made her mac and cheese in the middle of the day?
0: <laughs> I would love it if a random woman made a mac and cheese. I'm just letting
2: everyone know. I want to talk about that uh, moment a lot. We
0: get some backstory on the environmental state of Ennist, Not good. Not the drinking water. The mine, etc. We see and the water, too. Then Danvers goes to uh, a pseudo-postmortem conducted by a veterinarian, which I don't think is... Super a fish, but I appreciate her go-getter attitude. We're all just animals, really. And this veterinarian concludes, Mm -hmm. without digging too deep into the corpsicle, that the Salal guys did not die from the cold. Yeah. They died of fright.
2: They died before they froze, and everything is consistent with some sort of cardiac event.
0: And he mentions how he's seen caribou die of fear. We saw in the first scene of the whole series a bunch of caribou jumping off a cliff.
2: Which was interesting. I guess, were they afraid? Because that's that's different.
0: And was the guy who was hunting those caribou, is that Oliver?
2: That's a question
0: I have as well. Okay, I'll get to that. Did Evers and Vivaro track down this Oliver guy who is not a great host, and he threatens to kill them. He does seem saddened by the death of the Salal guys, but also yeah. a bit, it's not like grief. It's more like he's disturbed that this is like maybe finally happened or yes. something like that. We learned that this guy Lund, one of the scientists who let out the great scream yeah. in, in the first episode, I believe, when they were kind of, or the second, second episode. Beginning
2: of the second episode. When they're kind
0: of first digging these guys out,
2: mm-hmm.
0: I'd forgotten about him. Did I'd you? F- I'd forgotten that
2: he was still kicking. I'm never, well, he's not kicking. He has no legs.
0: Uh, it turns out he's alive. He's in the hospital. He wakes up. He is essentially the grail knight for Monty Python. He has no legs. He's blind.
2: He's not the Grail Knight. He's the guy that gets thrown on the cart of people from the plague and the Holy Grail. He's like, I feel better. Um, Danvers
0: goes to deal. When they go back to the hospital, Danvers is called away from this hospital room where Lund is. Convenient. She has to go deal with a sort of Jan 6 situation going on in the waiting room. And Navarro is left with Lund. Lund goes full. we, We find out Lund's still got some demon dog in him yeah you know.
2: And so, he, oh so wait like if you do the x-ray meme it's Cujo it's it's Pazuzu from The Exorcist <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and Lund wakes up someone's gonna make that for tells us tells
0: Evangeline her mother says hello and that she's waiting for her and then he points and then he fucking dies and that's the end of True Detective Night Country episode that's rude wait it, it, not you oh it's rude of him to leave it hanging like that
2: I mean a lot of him got left hanging let's be honest <sighs>
0: Okay, so that is episode three of True Detective Night Country. Yes. Typically, in the conversations that we've had so far about this show, Andy, Mm -hmm. we've kind of divided them into True Detective conversation Mm -hmm. and Night Country conversation. I will say, on my first pass through this episode, I am not sure I picked up just uh, myself, True Detective dude that I am, Mm -hmm. on a ton of True D stuff that we need to talk about. I can't remember whether or not when Danvers and Navarro go visit the abusive husband who... Does not seem to have committed suicide right. when they've arrived. Uh, he's whistling. I don't know whether that like melody that. comes in. I can't remember. Did you shazam it? I didn't shazam it, and I also just kind of I didn't pick up on anything out of the ordinary that we needed to address, and that will come up later in our conversation about True Detective. So let's talk about the night country part.
2: Well, I, I actually, before we do, I want to say again, we have not seen ahead. We're not watching ahead, right? So I don't know if this is um, if this is going to continue to be a relevant observation. But I thought for the overall health of this series, Night Country, as something distinct, I thought it was very smart to back away from the Easter egg From the
0: tunnels and the, yeah.
2: Yeah, because I think that you're asking for trouble in a different way if you devote the main thrust of your story to kind of, um, to to putting punctuation on those questions. Yeah. Um, You can sprinkle them in. You can make some nice connections. And if those connections are, this is all part of the same universe and there's darkness on the edge of all towns, great. I appreciated that, even if there's more to come.
0: Okay. Do you find yourself, uh, who I do not remember you often saying, like, what mm-hmm. I love is a supernatural ghost story to collide with my detective
2: fiction. You clearly don't remember our episodes on The Outsider, the HBO <laughs> series, that was the perfect collision of Stephen King and Richard Price, and that I still think about.
0: Okay. So, did you do you find the same charms out here in the snow?
2: I, TBD, I will say that. I think that there is a delicate recipe of getting of of serving both sides, you know, and there's a danger of kind of falling into the mushy middle between them where you are neither satisfying as a detective procedural nor as like a full like balls out supernatural horror show. This episode was a bridge episode between I think the setup of the mystery and what the show is going to be in terms of its investigation resolution so i'm I'm very much on the fence. There were moments that worked for me and we keep referring to the moment of the flashback that we can't trust that was not overtly supernatural but it was unnerving Mm -hmm. and I think that was beautifully staged and done and I really enjoyed it there's the scene you're talking about at the end with Lund which to me was almost a little too on the nose this is what happens in horror movies
0: does he still have a nose?
2: Um, It's it's a great point that's a great point you can't be on the nose if you don't have one so Isa's done it again Um, so right now we're in the middle Yeah, and I think that on the detecting side I also felt like this episode was slightly a step back for me. Again, I'm not, I'm not really going to do the like thumbs up, thumbs down week I to know. week. We're taking in the whole thing. But inevitably, even in detective shows that we really, really like and end up liking throughout, there's going to be episodes where characters drive seemingly randomly all around a conveniently uh, uh, small... Why don't
0: you get this off your chest okay. now?
2: What is the square footage here of Ennis? Because I, it, there's a lot of stuff where they're like, "This guy has quit society. He's out <laughs> on the ice," and they're like, "Great." So, 15 minutes in the Land Rover. But
0: I think that might be the case. It might be. And I think that the darkness is is creating a little bit of an illusion of of distance, or maybe of of like being they're they're lost in a snow globe somewhere else. You know, right. like. But you said this to me, and I think that this is real city mouse of you. Okay, you know? all right. I, I think that honestly, like. When you get out into the the country, like I have, and you really see places, right, you start to realize that, like, when somebody's like, "Yeah, like I gotta go to the store," it means like a twenty to thirty minute drive.
2: That's true. And for me, from my perspective, safe in my hole in the wall in the city, as a mouse in the mouse in my pocket. Uh, my experience of this is following winemakers on Instagram, <laughs> like our buddy Michael Cruz, who makes beautiful wines. I really recommend them. And now watching what he posts on Instagram, like he has like an old Subaru and to find the different vineyards, yeah, he drives like a hun- hundreds of miles a yes. day. Yes. So you're right. So my experience is 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 not relevant here. And I appreciate you checking my Urban privilege.
0: Yes. I was just that. saying that, like, to me, that has not, I haven't bumped up against that. I don't it, think that they're driving for, like, seven hours no, no, through the tundra to, to get to Oliver.
2: To be clear, I'm not bumping on anything other than I would like a little more clarification as to what is truly the edge of things. Mm-hmm. Because the the fact that Ennis, which to our city mouse eyes, feels like the edge of something, like on the edge of a cliff of any kind of known civilization, that there's something beyond that. Yeah. And is there something beyond that? That's interesting. So I kind of wanted to know how far you would have to go to be that far out and does anyone go further? So that that's a small question. The bigger point that I wanted to make um, was just that inevitably in a detective show, there's an episode where characters drive around to the beat of their own internal plot logic. Yes. Where there's a lot of going here and then there and then back here and asking this person. The, this this show, that's a has had a, show has
0: had several moments of phone call. You have to come see this for yourself where it's like, realistically, yeah. like, somebody could be like, I'm going to send you a picture of this thing that I just But saw. that's
2: also the challenge of making a detective show in a cell phone era. Yeah. And so I don't begrudge that. Everybody's doing their best, and it's working for me. It's just that an episode that is about driving between... Basically, it's almost... If you're picturing it like drawing something with an Etch-A-Sketch, but you don't know what the picture is yet. Yes. So it's going to have a different feeling than the first two episodes, which hit harder with the establishing shots, if you will, of this larger story.
0: So... I personally enjoy the idea that much like you're like, there's darkness at the edge of all these towns, that a place that where reality is so inverted anyway, where like you're you're kind of, you're never experiencing sunshine, that there are these sort of almost like borderlands right outside of what would be called civilization anyway, that like if you're like going to live out on the ice, it's not that much further from being New York a coffee shop and a bar Mm -hmm. and a police station. I like the idea that in these borderlands there is also like a porous border between the living and the dead. Yeah. And especially when you start to um, interpolate maybe some of the mythology the native people from that area and you start to think about like the communion between people and the land and like and spirituality that comes out of that. I think it's pretty interesting. I think that there are a lot of balls up in the air right now. So for me, and I think that I'm unfairly biased because of like, first of all, True Detective season one, but just the idea that there is like a case, a larger conspiracy, and a series of detectives studying that case, which mm-hmm. I think for the first and third season worked really well. Obviously, the second is is much different. But in the first season, you basically have two detectives who see the world completely differently. Mm-hmm. One is a practical, pragmatic, that's hard that's played by Woody Harrelson. The other is... Rust, who is seeing the psychosphere, and it can smell, you know, spiritual degradation, and has all these philosophies about, like, the state of humanity. Mm-hmm. And between the two of them, they kind of, like, follow these leads and follow their senses to, the, to this great, grand Carcosa conspiracy. Here, I think that they are now, like, it's three episodes in, and now we have finally, like, kind of truly united Danvers and Navarro, although there's still a lot of, like, mm-hmm. question marks about what drove them to be adversaries rather mm-hmm. than than uh coworkers or friends. And I don't know that there's necessarily that big of a difference in their perspectives on how these things work. I think Danvers is obviously more cynical about the idea. She thinks that detective work and that the thing that just happened is almost Occam's razor. It's like it's yeah. it is these guys probably went out on the ice because something scared them or something, you know, prompted them to run out and then they froze to death and that's it. It's not that some spirit or some possession is taking these guys' hold because they're digging into the earth and Mm -hmm. now we have unleashed a bacteria or something.
2: Mm -hmm. Which is,
0: like, kind of sounds like it might be the truth in this case.
2: I think that you've really hit on something that's essential to talking about and understanding the show, which is, this is not concern trolling, this is just pointing something out. The decision to make the primary protagonist of the show have a history so it is a reuniting yes. not a uniting is incredibly treacherous just purely from a story construction point of view because you want the story to be moving forward now it's and the nature of true detective to be telling stories in different timelines so it it does it, i understand why the decision is made also writers like degrees of they like high degree of difficulty yeah. you want to show that you can do it and as we've been saying multiple times in this podcast the flashback to their previous interactions was one of the highlights of the episode but you always have to remember in these two-hander detective stories the lethal weapon corollary. Like, you want the two different heats to be brought together in front of you yeah. and everything, and the sparks to fly forward. You want to see that. It's a collision between two different types. And many of our favorite stories, I mean, all stories, but particularly these types of crime investigation stories, they do that. It's easy money. You you literally create sparks, and then the, the fire burns through the rest of the movie or the tv show there is a kind of softness to this because we have the danvers dynamic with pete peter mm-hmm. and then we have the interesting wrinkle of navarro calling him freshman or yes. rookie or whatever and th-
0: this is my favorite callie reese episode so far like i think that this was one where she got to actually do a bunch of different stuff to be vulnerable but also to be funny but yeah. also to be a little bit chippy like i thought this was she also got to do like police work, police work. We got to see both in the flashback, but also in her going through the evidence where it was like, I don't know, it was just nice to see her in in the action like this.
2: I I agree. And I thought she was very strong in this episode. And I think Jodie Foster is always strong. But the core thing that you're saying, which is you're uniting these two people. And this was something that was true in all the previous true detectives. You're right. The two was different, but the... The Colin Farrell, Vince Vaughn, and Rachel McAdams were all doing big, big choices in very different characters who are brought together under various circumstances.
0: It's when Taylor Kitcher Arisha, right there.
2: I, was, I knew there was someone else I was forgetting too. Sorry, sorry, Riggs, Texas forever. Um, the The Danvers Navarro friction is muted, uh-huh. and I and neither of them is particularly extreme. Now, again, that could result in some beautiful, nuanced storytelling. But that is a... Re- I just think you've, you've articulated something important.
0: I don't necessarily want to compare this show to the first season of True Detective. I think it was it mm-hmm. conceived as something different. I think it's telling a different kind of story. I think it's borrowing certain elements, much to Nick Pizzolato's dismay. Chagrin. Uh, mm-hmm. about, about the series. But I think this often happens with these limited season detective shows where you can feel the bones of a much larger story. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, so if I had to guess, and I also have not read it, I've not read ahead, you know, Mm -hmm. um, obviously Issa Lopez is laying the groundwork for some connection between environmental collapse and the disappearance of these women and also possibly the supernatural element of around some of the, some of these crimes, some mm-hmm. of these murders, and also just like the overall vibe that's happening out there. I think that's really interesting. But as a viewer, like when I'm like, where did Fiona Shaw go? Like where did where did mm-hmm. Christopher Eccleston go? Like what's going on with Hank? Like we get like these limited, I didn't know that Hank was like also like, is Hank just allowed to bring a bunch of hunters on to a police investigation and doesn't really have to follow Danvers' orders? Or she obviously doesn't feel like she can reprimand him maybe because he has sway over these guys like I don't know but like I, I, there's I, so many different things that are kind of up in the air right now and often happens in the third or fourth episode of a six or seven episode season of mystery is that you're like where am I supposed to look what am I supposed to care about
2: I think my my addition to that is and this might not be true of everyone watching the corpsicle is what I'm interested in right yeah
0: now. I mean, that's. But they always say that about you.
2: The Annie feels secondary now. Obviously, the defining characteristic of Navarro as a human and a cop is that she disagrees with me very, very much. Right, and that's important. That's important for the show, not just for the, a fictional character. But I think it it it's you as a creative enterprise here. It's important for. Issa Lopez to be keeping our collective eye on the main mystery that she presented to us as the main mystery.
0: Yes. Why did these guys, which is, it was so beautifully outlined in the previous episode mm-hmm. when Danvers and Peter are in the sort of stands at the hockey rink mm-hmm. and she's just like, ask the question, ask the question, ask the question. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I want, I want more of that. I mean, this is, I don't know, are we in the portion of the podcast where we can say what we want? And yeah, like, yeah. the idea that there were, what, what these guys were doing there what they were disrupting or disturbing. Also, you know, uh, one of the threads throughout this episode is that you know, when we're first told about the Salal Station, we're told that they are completely to themselves at all times. Now there are at least two examples of... Um, it seems like a dating hub. Exactly. Like, yeah. like I know, she, Danvers extends Tinder to Fairbanks. She should extend <laughs> it to the Salal Station. She would have found a very willing audience there. Probably a lot in common. Everyone likes sandwiches. Yeah. Um, yeah, th- there was a lot of like, it's all towny romance happening. And so there's, there's, th- th- those tracks between the town and the station are well worn. And so I guess that's kind of where the Annie investigation gets folded into. But yeah, I don't know. I, other than just to agree with you that there's a lot of stuff being put into the stew pot at the moment.
0: I'm also somewhat distracted by my own awareness of true D mythology, you know? And I think that the throwing Tuttle out there in the second episode, the, clearly like returning over and over and over to the spiral has it's got my head spinning a little bit and i think that that it'll be really interesting i think once 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 the show rounds second after the fourth episode Mm -hmm. to see like what's important here like what are we going Mm -hmm. towards what are the questions that we need answered it's entirely possible that this could be like the first season of true detective which was like a kind of multi-tiered mystery there was a Murder of a woman, but then there was also the mm-hmm. larger conspiracy that may or may not involve the church and the government and everything yeah, else.
2: That's the nature of this series. And if anything, like the, that's the mantle that Issa has picked up on. And I think she's being true to the spirit of the show. That's different than some other detective shows. Mm-hmm. If we think about other successful ones um, on HBO, if you think about Mayor of Easttown, there is stuff in the past. There's concurrent stuff. There was a secondary crime story that was going on. But it was essentially forward-moving of one character in her world and how it was affected by a thing. This is an ever-expanding concentric circle of worlds overlapping, moving at different timelines with different crimes. Um, it's very busy. I mean, that's, that is something that she did borrow from Pizzolatto, yeah. which just purely from an objective standpoint, I, I am slightly surprised by. Because I did think that the opportunity, and I still may be, this, I may be proved wrong, we've seen three episodes, but like the opportunity to reset a successful franchise with a different creator, I thought would also come with kind of a refinement or simplification of it because whether you liked season three or didn't like it and I was kind of in the middle of it, it was very heavy, Mm -hmm. very busy. Yes. Um, And so when the the central like logline conceit of the series was just like, I mean, it's right there in the title. It's like, this is like a pulp. We're going back to a pulp type of storytelling about detectives solving a crime, but it's really going to be about them solving the crime of themselves.
0: (laughs) What do you think of Hank? What do you think is going on with that character?
2: I did you pick up on I haven't rewatched, but did you see the sort of surly snarl of Hank in this episode yes. in the pilot? No. Like I
0: thought he was a dipshit in the first episode. I thought his like he was supposed to be like the small town cop. Right. Who's like let's just keep the peace. There's a lot that goes on underneath the hood. We don't need to look under there. And I thought he was like I'm just trying to get my mail order bride out here, like, I'm trying not to make waves. Mm-hmm. And this time, since the so the Annie file in the second episode where Peter steals the file and he gets slapped for it. He and
2: steals it in the first slap in the second. By the way, are you going to revise your comments about that slap? Because it's really left a mark. And now he's telling people he fell on the ice.
0: Yes. Even you though he's a expert
2: skater. A gentle slap.
0: I wouldn't say it was a gentle
2: slap. I just, I okay. just think that, you know. All right. Kaya knows what I'm talking
0: about. <laughs> not, not. I'm not endorsing. Okay.
2: what is it? Corporal punishment. Look, I'm just saying that when you do adopt a ward, you may need to revisit some of these opinions.
0: If I adopt a ward, then that kid's going to be like six three one ninety. I'm not. I'm not slapping anybody
2: because he's going to be recruited by some yeah. of the, like a mid major. Okay, got
0: it. Uh, anyway, my point was just that, like, yes, you're right. He has he has taken an increasingly nefarious turn, um, and I think I'm a little bit like I'm very curious about. The Danvers Hank relationship every now, every time I watch this with my wife, she's like, "Did they used to date mm-hmm. um, and I think that's really their energy, which seems to be she seems incredibly demeaning of him, but in a way that almost seems like they had a personal relationship that went wrong somehow mm. Mm-hmm. I'm very curious about that part.
2: She also is written. The character is written as just like a Danvers, like, a, like an Danvers, is like an apex predator of of sex in that town. Like that, she is sure. just she, she which, is
0: she seems to have really have had relationships with many
2: people. She gets yes. after it. Yeah, I respect it. I respect it as well. Fantasy football, boning. What else is it's there the to do? Up there?
0: And, and whipping up some mac and cheese. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? I was just struck by. So this is a scene where they're at the hairstylist's house, and the hairstylist's daughter is a little bit disturbed by these two yeah. cops in her home. Yeah. And Danvers distracts her by being like, why don't we go make some mac and cheese and talk about unicorns?
2: My thing is, now, one of the most successful things of the show is it continues to super disorient me as to what time it is. Because I was like, oh, we just night fish at night? <laughs> I mean, ice fish at night? but Yeah. No, it's probably morning. I don't know. Um... So when they go over to the house, it's unclear what time it is. And thus, I'm a little bit at sea in terms of like where the child is with her meal right. schedule that day. Right. I would just say that as a, as a parent, if someone else came to my house and offered to just feed my child like a rich meal uh-huh. out of the order of my scheduled day, I would not be chill with it. Now, if it was obviously dinner time.
0: I, my impression was that it was like her last appointment was there. hmm she was going to make be making dinner next, but that it took to like basically like their interrogation mm-hmm. took so long. The kid was starting to become hungry hung, mm-hmm. uh, and tired, and, and Danvers saved the day.
2: That's possible. Look, Danvers did save the day and showed a, a streak we didn't know she had in her. And the the long form, the moth like storytelling about a unicorn just purely inspired, as if she's in an improv troupe from an image on a shirt. Yeah, bravo. That's expert. That's god tier parenting. I I can't I can't do that, and i you know, purport to be a writer. I couldn't do that. It was really more the like, let me feed you with someone else's food. And it could be 8 a.m. or it could be 11 at night. I, I, I got
0: the impression it was past dinner time.
2: I also noted, and I wondered if this was the show's, you know, remarkable commitment to authenticity that the mac and cheese that she's making is the, like the, the Velveeta style, which is the tube of like, 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 not quite liquid, but like gelatinous yes. cheese. It is not the more traditional it's powdered. Not any- yeah. But that doesn't mean, maybe that's because they can't. Are they going to get milk all the time? Like, what's going on? If you have to shop more. More shelf stable stuff. I mean, stuff. like,
0: like the guys in Salal had all manner of chips. You know what I mean? Like, I feel so, like they're. So do I. They, I mean, like, the prices are high. You mm. know, like, I think that 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 that's that's a sleepy Joe problem, but that's also a, an Ennis <laughs> Alaska problem about getting goods up there. And so, so it's
2: it's a Lisa Murkowski problem, is what you're saying.
0: <laughs> I mean, it depends on who.
2: I mean, she's an independent now. She could probably reach across the aisle. Did um, when I talk about the show's commitment to. Specific detail. I do have to me a culpa briefly because I imagine people listening to this also listen to last week. Last week, I was like, the, the production design and the detail in these rooms and these, you know, in these spaces with the canned food sure. is really, I don't know if it's accurate, but it's very compelling.
0: You, you wish to recant that?
2: No. <laughs> I just want people to know that I did watch last week's episode on a screener site on my laptop. So I did not really catch the AI generated metal band poster. This has
0: been a big topic of debate that the minor. Mm-hmm. Who's living in I thought to be mine a mining dormitory like a in workers dormitory but possibly a halfway house is is also been kicked around online that he had several posters mm-hmm. on his wall and I made fun of them at the time I was like from the law and order school of like every time yes. you have a disturbed teen they have like a helmet t- poster right helmet was a band for. 99.9% of our listeners that was a very aggressive kind of yeah. like
2: mathy metal. Band.
0: Paige Hamilton, was that the guy's name? Paige Hamilton, yeah. He oh. went to uh Harvard, I think, and yeah, it was like he went to Harvard, old. but he riffs, yeah. Know?
2: It's like oh, if only <laughs> <laughs> hashtag goals, brother. <laughs> yeah, go on.
0: Anyway, this guy who is t- telling Navarro about, about his brother selling Clark a, a trailer has posters up on his wall that say, essentially, like, metal tour. And it's like, mm-hmm. it's, it does seem AI-generated. Issa Lopez apparently responded to someone talking about this. She's too online. And was like, yes, it was AI-generated. And it's, like, basically, like, th- this is what they can do out there. I, I honestly... Oh, so she was brief- implying
2: that the guy had no access to like proper.
0: So made it like made his own or maybe like, I don't, I don't know.
2: Right. So like normally a miner would buy like the shepherd fairy, like tour poster of his favorite band. But like, he can't, like he can't do that. He doesn't have access to Redbubble or whatever. So that's right. So he, he AI generated his own poster I... because I thought the complaint was, they obviously like drew that in and post and they didn't, do better than that and I didn't even notice because I watched it on a small screen
0: it didn't really like I noticed the metal part of it but it didn't take me out of the show I I guess is my point
2: I I think that what look I don't know if Issa's is listening I don't know if Casey even Casey Ploys at HBO is listening but if they are listening all I ask is since it's all in, you can do it all in post anyway and you can always just take it down and post it back up to the Mac servers nobody's going to notice someone should gin up a Shepard Fairey style poster of Paige Hamilton from (laughs) Helmet with the words Obey, and put it back in that scene.
0: For us. Just for the two of us. Just to prove that yeah. there's
2: a little life in the thing yeah.
0: left. Um, I wanted to, I guess, conclude our conversation about this episode mm. by talking about the last scene. Yes. So, this is an episode, and this whole series has told us that, as the guy says in, like, I believe, the second episode, the guy who's del- the chip delivery guy, the, the delivery guy who's been to Salal, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's Ennis you see people, Mm -hmm. right? Rose sees Travis. Travis may or may not be Rust's dad. I believe that has been confirmed by Yusa Lopez on Twitter. Um, You know, we've kind of had these visions of animals doing weird things. Now Navarro is having dreams about her military service, which a mysterious child is appearing and talking to her. Mm -hmm. So if that's happening and the Lund thing at the end was very specifically done with only Navarro in the room. Do you interpret that as something that Navarro is experiencing or something that she is having, like it's a vision?
2: It's a great question. Because that
0: guy, that guy was close to death when they arrived. You know, like it's about as bad, it's about as banged up as you can be.
2: He's also not... He is on IR. And I'm saying this as a, so yeah, no shots of Toradol are getting him back on the field. He's in the blue tent. Yeah.
0: An uh, independent neurologist
2: He's has un- ruled him. He's out. in protocols.
0: It's like Debo coming out without yeah. his pads on.
2: Yeah, and as a you know, just from a podcasting perspective, he's not like super articulate. I would say, no. you know, he's not mic ready. No. Um, I-, I guess I would just respond to your question with a question of my own, which is, does it matter? The show is in- intentionally not differentiating between people's personal visions yes. and their effect on the larger world. That is, in some ways, the text of this show. So I mean we're we're talking about a murder mystery in which the bodies were pointed out by a ghost. Yeah. So if a ghost continues to be the literal ghost in the machine pointing out every clue, that's consistent. I don't know where I am with it in terms of my Yeah, investment. I mean
0: it's I guess it's it depends on whether or not This guy miraculously revived himself and then said something very specific to Navarro's experience that she clearly doesn't share with very many people because she's so resistant to talking about her mother Mm -hmm. with her boyfriend or with her lover. Or he is like a figment of her imagination that's kind of calling into account like women who are on the other side
2: who who Mm. want
0: you to look for them. So it's just interesting. I'm going to keep my eye on that. I, that's not actually like something I need a magnifying glass. Just, I'm sure it's going to be a major topic. It feels um, like
2: more of like a magnifying glass where you're like, there are special men in this world who can tell you when women want to come, want you to come look for them. <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's like an ad on mypillow.com. Right? It's just like, hey, some ladies. Yeah, so in, some are in Vladivostok. Keep searching, brother. So keep texting.
0: This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. One thing you don't have to worry about cleaning up this spring season, your wireless bill. Just switch to Mint Mobile. It's easy. And right now, they have unlimited talk, text, and data plans for $15 a month when you buy a three-month plan. To get this new customer offer, go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. For first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details.
1: This episode is
0: brought to you by Walmart Plus. With a Walmart Plus membership, you save on everything you need to stay entertained. A Paramount Plus subscription is included to watch all your favorite shows, plus there's free delivery and even gas discounts, so when you're done streaming, you can hit the town and find entertainment in the real world, too. Save on all this, plus much more with Walmart Plus. Start a free 30-day trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus essential plan only, separate registration required, $35 order minimum. See walmart.com slash plus for details.
2: This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube.
1: When your car needs maintenance, head to
0: Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes
2: checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube. Car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com.
0: I wanted to talk to you a little bit about Mr. Spade.
2: Yeah, I think largely I wanted to talk about it because this is a, as you know, it's a very dense show. It's not... Mr. It's,
0: Spade, obviously, I just had the third episode and it's on AMC.
2: And it's in the shadow, at least both in this podcast and maybe in terms of the Sunday night conversation of True Detective. First, I just want to say, if you're watching True Detective, please give Mr. Spade yeah. a, uh uncertain regard, right? As we would say. Like, it's... I love it. I agree. But let me tell you this. Mm.
0: In the same way that I said... A lot of balls in the air in the third episode of True Detective. Mm. A lot of things happening. I would say that the same is the case for Mr. Spade. Definitely. We have now introduced several different timelines, several different, you know, 60% of what people are talking about, but we have not been filled in on the last 40 to 35% kind of bit. And the added element of what happens in the third episode, so we can get into that now, which is this, child who's kind of been in the background like it's the child belonging to the algerian nun Mm -hmm. in uh fake nun fake nun in the convent of the nuns who have all been murdered this child's on the run this child gets found by the guy who works in the nightclub Mm -hmm. brought home and then the jump in logic here is that they start to believe that he could be some kind of messiah potentially well, the church seems to think that too. Like there seems to be like this hyper amount of activity around this child for some reason.
2: They even got Dean Winters out of uh, insurance commercials.
0: I mean, a Tom Fontana veteran. Yes. So we now have like the church searching for this child. The monk seems to be indemnified from legal prosecution because the church has taken him back to the Vatican mm-hmm. to question him. Mm-hmm. There is the Algerian uh, expats mm-hmm. in Bazouls who are shepherding him or protecting him but also seem to be like suspicious and also seem to be like ready to believe that he could be the Mahdi Mm -hmm. there's still all this stuff with Jean-Pierre and what happened in Algeria and what he wants to do and go back we get a flashback of uh, Philippe but we still haven't seen Philippe in a while like Mm -hmm. in In the the present present tense Teresa there's British Secret Service involved there's so much shit going on in three hours of TV
2: What's You're totally right, and it's really interesting. One of the reasons I wanted to try to pair them up, at least for this week, was that they are in the same spot in their story. Yes. Because they're both six-episode series. And so, while I'm slightly criticizing True Detective for its like driving around and trying to draw connections for us that we might not even see yet, that's happening here, too. Oh, yeah.
0: They're like, why don't you get in the car and come to this interview with us? What's
2: unique about Monsieur Spade is that Monsieur Spade's model, at least as much as I can intuit what Scott Frank and Tom Fontana want to be doing here, is that they are actually... Using the archetype of Sam Spade as a, if you'll allow it, true detective to to kind of center and balance out two extremes of storytelling in two different eras. What I mean is all of this shit with like the ghost monk and the maybe messiah, that all feels very contemporary. Mm-hmm. Like everything is a conspiracy. Everything is potentially supernatural. Everything is swirling all at once. I mean, that's the hallmark of Night Country. That's yeah. what we do with these modern mysteries. The Daffy Painter and his prim mother being revealed to be, oh, jolly good secret service agents for MI6, is preposterous and played almost for laughs. So the balancing act between those two things tonally is really precarious and wild. And I'm curious where it goes. I don't know if you had the similar thing, but like the whole business with this painter and the way he behaves and his mother and the way she behaves is absurd. Absurd in the same show potentially as this other stuff. Maybe less absurd if this was a nineteen forty serial. Um, I mean, it, but I think he's trying it, to do both. It, it
0: works within the realm of actually the Maltese Falcon. Yes, it's those kinds of like rogue gallery, rogue guy characters who show up and kind of, you know, Peter Lorre. You would just look at yes. on face value and just be like, this guy seems cr- like like questionable. And you know, in in the movie itself, you're kind of like he's one of ten or fifteen. You know, of of these kinds of malcontents uh i think that the other thing that i I was just sort of bumping up against is and i'm not bumping up against it in terms of my enjoyment of the series because honestly for 48 minutes of this episode i was in pure heaven The scene between jonathan zakai shout out to the bureau Mm -hmm. uh and sam spade or clive owen in the first scene of this episode is the hardest shit i've ever seen like when they're, when he's just like, here's 500,000 francs, get the fuck out of town, like yeah, buy weird. a boat, go to Norway. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I hear them, you like an asshole. Short. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's great. I love it so much. Um, but I just, I'm, I'm actually like, I like to think I'm a pretty smart mystery watcher mm-hmm. and I am like operating at 104% capacity of keeping all this stuff straight. Yes. I wonder if Scott Frank would be like, that's not the point. You shouldn't be doing that. I will come around on episode five and fix it for you. But for me, I'm distracted by my own ability to like be like, okay. It, and so like, why did Philippe, who was he blackmailing? He was blackmailing Jacques, but also the other people. But
2: here's what I, I, I don't know what Scott would say. I hope we'll talk to him before the end of the season. But my assumption is. Scott would is, tell me
0: there's an asshole shortage in Norway.
2: <laughs> yes. Or in Sweden. So get back to Spotify yeah. HQ. Yeah. Um, I think he would probably say that it is not the viewer's job to separate wheat from the chaff. The viewer's job is to watch the scythe, and the scythe is Clive Owen. Watch him. Yeah. Watch what he does. Watch how he reacts and be with him. The rest of it is just the maelstrom that he's navigating. And I did think, for as much as we love Clive Owen and we talk to him and we're delighted by him, I think his control of this character and his performance and the charisma that he's bringing to it elevated in this episode yeah. and maybe it's elevated because I'm clinging to him for dear life because the rest of it swirling around is a lot I also thought that they got they are very fortunate they found Kara Bossum who plays Teresa she's so good she's really good yeah. and like oh well you, she's like I, and I, I mislaid my knife where did you oh I lost my knife where did you lose it inside the monk yeah killer but like to fight. I mean, imagine the casting call. It's like we need someone who is plausibly a teenager who speaks perfect American English and also perfect French and also is good and is going to hold her own in these mysterious scenes with 5-0, yeah. and she's great. She is great.
0: Um, I, can I just mention that I found out that Chiara Mastroianni's it's a, it's parents... a
2: Chiara, when you speak Italian, as I do. Yes, go on. Uh, do you know who her mom is? Uh, I know who her dad is. Who's her mom?
0: Catherine Deneuve.
2: That's sick. <laughs> That's so cool. So Marcello Mastroianni
0: and Catherine Deneuve had a baby, and it's her.
2: It's great. This is great podcasting. She, um, you know, she once said, "I only saw my parents together on screen. She never saw them together in real life." Is
0: that the first thing that you see on the internet when you Google
2: her? I don't have to answer that. <laughs> this is an audio podcast. As far as people know... <laughs> no, I know.
0: If we were real, a real podcast, you would have just thrown that factoid out and I wouldn't have killed it for
2: you. you know? No, if this was a real podcast, I would have stepped down, Googled it, and delivered it. But we show the real... We, warts and all.
0: Do you think that my neurotic reading of this episode mm-hmm. and my own sort of anxiety about keeping everything straight mm-hmm. means I have been too true detective
2: pilled? Yeah. It does well. I wouldn't have phrased it that way. Um, but
0: you're chill. You're just like it'll all get come out in the wash. Like, yeah, I'm
2: treating this as a vibes. mystery novel. Yeah, it's it's vibes. A few characters I like and a setting that I like, and then let's go. I bought a ticket. Let's go on the ride. Okay. But the modern way of watching television and of parsing detective shows is not that.
0: I'm not on the boards trying to solve this. Mm-hmm. I just like.
2: Well, the boards are in French.
0: But I know, I, the but I I'm actually so interested in it that I. I want to know. You know what I mean? Like, I want to know the town that Jean-Pierre went to that was, like, a little bit more rough and tumble than his small town to uh, go sell uh, her necklace. Yes. Like, I want to know what's up with that, Uh, and I want to know why, like, is that more like post-war France that's a little bit down in the dumps, you know?
2: I'll say this, and I think based on Godless and on, certainly on The Queen's Gambit, Scott Frank is first or at least in the first cohort of people who are successfully able to translate some of the the momentum and plot delivery of movies with the week to week or episode to episode pace of television like he just seems to have it in his bones based on yeah. those two shows queen's gambit was such a pleasure as a whole but also it was pleasurable i know it was bingeable but it was pleasurable in its distinct chapters so i'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt here but there is an element but but it's a it's an open question whether this is the sort of thing that needs to be perceived as a whole. Yeah. But it's not being delivered that way. I, I don't know. I mean, he can write his own ticket. He can do what he wants. And his whole career is in movies. And Queen's Gambit and Godless were both binged. Yeah. So this, in some ways, this is his first week to week. And that sometimes can be a different animal. And sometimes can feel different depending how you're processing it.
0: I have one comment, one question to end this. My mm. comment is that that housekeeper better be alive.
2: Oh, hell yeah. Yeah.
0: Helena. I love her. She's a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Also, I think her grandson might get a little annoyed if she dies. And second of all, my question is, do you care at all Mm. about Teresa's mother's antiquing?
2: Like? The Maltese Falcon piece. Do do I care? Like, as if it's going to be relevant again?
0: I don't know. Do you care? Do you, are you like, Leo, yeah. pointing at the screen? Are you like, I need to know, does, did Bridget really find the, the real Maltese Falcon? And that's why Teresa has this fortune. Oh. Like, Is the Maltese Falcon around somewhere? Like, Do you care at all? Do you care about
2: that shit at all? You're going to rust Cole's dad this show? I'm not. I'm just, I'm just trying to generate convo with you. Man. I am going to re-watch The Maltese Falcon, a movie I haven't seen since I was 15, I think. Can I tell you something? Yeah. <laughs> that's a good one. Movie. that's the word on the street I know I love it I loved it but I've not seen it since I have was have you in ever high seen the
0: Maltese Falcon Kaya? no you would enjoy I wonder if you would enjoy it Let's i us do a love Maltese Falcon pod we should do a Maltese Falcon pod okay okay I'll watch oh,
2: all right great that's Kaya and I will do that when you're away on you're Thursday you're more than
0: welcome to do it
2: <laughs> uh, I keep
0: those numbers up
2: always always finger on the pulse we're gonna do a Harold Lloyd pod the next week I think um, I'll be back for that What's gonna be silent on your end um yeah, I, it's fun. It's fun. You know, it, it, it's. I think it's an interesting thing to bring up in the context. I was joking when I was like Russ's dad, but whether you bring up things to feel, you know, for like as a wink and a nod to the people who know, or you are creating a piece of of, of art that is dependent on the larger Sam Spade universe, that's a tough one. Yes, I don't know. My my sense is that it will only matter to people who. To whom it, they want it to matter. So if that, if her fortune comes from the Maltese Falcon, how great? But I don't think you need to say it.
0: I think the story that he's telling her at the pool that is in the sort of memory that mm-hmm. Sam is having of when Gabrielle and him used to sit by the pool and he used to look cool as shit and smoke. Mm-hmm. That story that he's telling her is actually an anecdote from the Maltese Falcon. Mm-hmm. It's yes. got mentioned in the New Yorker piece. But I just thought I'd mention that too. I love
2: that. Is your. Do you I, feel have all like, these,
0: I have all, this, all these facts. I don't know what to do with them.
2: Like, he really, his main takeaway from his eight years of marriage was it's better to swim naked. Right? Like, that was his main, like, she left him a vineyard, but he, she also <laughs> left him with, like, a remarkable amount of body confidence that I think it should Personally, be celebrated.
0: honestly, if Jean-Pierre was like, I want my vineyard, I'd be like, let's, let's work something out.
2: Oh, I thought you'd be like, if Jean Pierre said, I want my vineyard, you would drop your bathrobe again. <laughs> just to be like, you can have this. Well, I'd be
0: like, can I keep the pool? Can I keep the house? You can have the vineyard. You can make, let's, uh, let's go, f- I Look,
2: don't know, 60, 40 I, on the vineyard. This is our, we're way more vineyard references in this podcast than I expected. I don't know a lot, but I do follow a lot of winemakers on Instagram and it seems real hard. So that's I would why be, I'd be
0: pushing it. That's that what I'm JP. agreeing with you.
2: I'd be like, do you want to go into business together, but you make the wine? Yeah. I'll drink it and I'll live here. And You can take some of the profits, but like
0: that's also a great scene is the the omelet scene.
2: It's a great scene
0: when he's just like I could just wait it out for you to die, but I want like I want clarity about whether or not this was like all in my head or it's true or not.
2: We should not. I pre- I'm glad you brought that up as a way to end on. Like we just shouldn't look back on the fact that Scott Frank is one of our best screenwriters and he's just riffing on Hammett and he's having so much fun.
0: We were produced by Kaya McMullen. The truest detective. Mm-hmm. And uh, Andy will be back on Thursday with a, just a. Will I? Who
2: knows? We don't know. We don't know. Kai, Kai be, and I were talking. We don't know.
0: I'll be out on the road, uh, the Rewatchables tour, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. So.
2: God, God bless, Road Dog. Can I just also say, because I've, I've gotten some feedback that people like knowing in advance, certainly people who listen to the end of the podcast, which Kai assures me is everyone, uh, this week's Stick the Landing is about a comedy show called The Office.
0: Oh, people want to know in advance rather than get it sprung on them?
2: Yeah, because this way they'll hear this Sunday night. Oh, and they can go watch it. They can watch all 200 episodes leading up (laughs) to the finale. Is that what you did? That's what Mallory would do. So,
0: (laughs) okay. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you next week.